Welcome, Valley. So excited to have you here today as we, as we continue in our series that we've called, I Once Was Blind. Now today, I want to invite you to, to remain standing, and let me read for you again, Ephesians chapter 6. Tonight, we're going, to, we're going to remember verses 11 through 13, and then our main text is verse 15. Let me read for you the scripture. Here's what God's word says. It says, it says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Now, verse 15. And as for shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Well, let's stop right there. Have a seat. Have a seat. Now, as you, as you get settled in your seat, why don't you take a moment and just look down at your shoes, right? Now, look at your shoes. Maybe, maybe look at your neighbor's shoes. Don't, don't pick on them for the shoes they're wearing. But, but here's the reality. We're all gathered here, and, and we're all wearing shoes, right? Some of us are wearing maybe dress shoes. We like to uh, kind of come in a little bit classy. Some of us are wearing tennis shoes. I mean, it, it's a, a nice, warm day. Maybe some of us are even wearing some, uh, some sandals, right? But here's the deal. The shoes that we wear, the shoes that we wear, they're all about the function. They're all about the readiness that they give to us for whatever activity that, that we find ourselves in, for whatever situation that we're engaging in. I mean, most days for me, I'm, I'm wearing a, a pretty comfy pair of sneakers. That's, that's kind of my, my day in and day out pair of shoes. But, you know, I think about in the evenings, I like to put on my, my slippers. They're, they're comfortable around the house. Or, or, or maybe even a few weeks ago, I think about how uh, a few of my friends and I, we, we got to climb Mount St. Helens. And I was not wearing my tennis shoes. I was not wearing my slippers. I, I certainly was not wearing sandals. I had, I had some, some good snow boots. And in fact, on those snow boots, partway up, we, we strapped on these, these metal spikes on the bottom of our boots. They're, they're called crampons. And these, these spikes, they enabled us to walk in the snow and in the ice and to not lose our footing. These, these boots and, and spikes combined, they gave us a readiness so that we could accomplish the task that we had set before us, a readiness so that we could climb a mountain. Now, this is, this is the kind of readiness we're talking about when we're talking about th these shoes. This is what we're looking at when we look at Ephesians 6, verse 15. It says, and as for, or as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. You see, the shoes that we were talking about are being ready for whatever life throws at you because of who Christ is and what Christ has done. This means, this means that just like uh, you, you put on the right pair of shoes to prepare you for different situations in life, this means that, that your peace, your peace in the gospel, it prepares you to stand firm. The armor of God, as we've examined the armor of God, as we've looked at all of these different elements of the armor of God, each piece of the armor of God, it is meant to enable you to stand firm. And that's what we're seeing as we look at these, these, these shoes of readiness from the gospel of peace. 
This is one more item for you that enables you to stand firm. Now, let me ask you, how ready do you feel for whatever it is that life might throw at you? How prepared do you feel like you are to, to accomplish whatever it is God has called you to do, his purposes for your life? And how does that preparedness or how does that readiness connect to the peace of God that provides comfort and eases whatever kind of anxiety you might have when you are facing a difficult situation? You see, that's what I want us to examine today. Today, as we look at this, this gospel of peace and the readiness we have from it, what we're going to see is we're going to see that this gospel of peace means that you and I, if we are in Christ, we have peace with God. We, we not only have peace with God, we have peace with each other, peace with man. And ultimately, this peace, it makes us ready to share the gospel, and it even makes us ready. Here you go. It even makes us ready to suffer to suffer at times. Now, with that said, let me make sure all of our Bibles are open. Would you make sure your Bibles open up? Ephesians chapter 6. Let me read for you verse 15, and then let's start walking through this, this concept of, of the, the readiness that comes from having the shoes of the gospel of peace. Ephesians 6, 4, 15, once again, says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of of peace. Now, now here's why I want to begin today. I want us to begin where, where peace, the peace of God begins. And, and the peace of God, it begins with, with understanding that we have peace with God. Here's where we're going to start. The gospel of peace makes you right with God. The gospel of peace, the gospel this gospel is what makes you and, and I, what makes us right with God. What we're really beginning with is, is the person and work of Jesus. The person of Jesus, the perfect, sinless Son of God, and the work of Jesus, his, his faithful obedience to God the Father, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. Now, now with that, I want us to look at two truths that are intertwined that really help us understand the significance of this piece. Here are these two truths. The very first one. The very first one is that because of Jesus Christ, you are right with God. You are right with God. Now look with me. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Here's what the, the, the Apostle Paul writes. He says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he says. He says, says, we have been justified by faith. Now, two weeks ago, we talked about this phrase, by faith. We talked about how we are righteous by faith. We talked about how it's by faith that it's been credited to us as righteousness. Now, let me show you something awesome. That, that, that word righteous, that, that noun of righteousness, well, that noun form in its verb form, is the, the word we find here in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. When the text says we have been justified by faith, this is the verb that describes being made righteous. Well, here's what it says. It says, since we have been made or been made those who stand with right standing before God. 
This is talking about our righteousness. And this is saying that, that we have a righteousness, and it's a righteousness by, that's by faith. It's not a righteousness, a right standing that we've earned. This is what we saw when we, when we looked at the breastplate of righteousness. We have not earned it. Rather, it's been given to us. It's been given to us because of Christ and his death and resurrection. This is the point. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. And then here's what it says. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have right standing with God because of Jesus, God is no longer mad at us. Listen, brother or sister in Christ, if you have trusted that Jesus died and rose again, if you trust that, that through his atoning work, he has paid the price for all of your sin, listen very carefully. The wrath of God toward you was satisfied. God is not mad at you any longer. This is, this is such a great truth. God is not mad at us. And so, because we are right with God, because you are right with God, because God is not mad at you, here's the twin truth. Here's that second truth. You have peace with God. You have peace with God. I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. L listen to this text. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old life has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ, here it is, reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, if you're looking at verse 18, I want you to underline this phrase. Who through Christ, here it is, reconciled us to himself. I'll underline that phrase, reconciled us to himself. You see, this reconciliation, this is, this is the, 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 the work of, of taking a relationship that is at odds, taking, taking two parties that are at enmity with each other, and reconciliation is when you bring them to a place of peace. This is what God has done through Christ. He's taken you and I who were enemies of God. Remember, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Remember, we followed the prince of the, the power of the air, just like all of the sons of disobedience. Remember, we were internally deranged. We loved the wrong things and thought the wrong things. Remember, we were externally disobedient. We did whatever it is that we wanted to do. We stood in, in opposition to God. We were his enemies. And through Christ, God has reconciled you. He's brought peace. He's made it so that not only are you right with God, but now you have peace with God. You know what this means, brother or sister? This means that you, you and I, we stand firm in Christ. When the accuser comes and says, look at, look at how bad so-and-so has been today. 
Look at their thoughts. Look at their actions. Listen to their words. When the accuser comes and reminds us of our failure and our sin and, 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 and just parades our struggle in front, of, in front of God the Father, what do we do? We stand firm in Christ. This is spiritual warfare, brothers and sisters. You have the shoes of readiness of the gospel of peace. These shoes, they give you this incredible grip so that you can plant your feet and you can stand firm. We stand firm because we have peace with God. The gospel of peace makes you right with God. But that's not all. Not only does the gospel of peace make you right with God, but the gospel of peace also makes you right with man. The gospel of peace makes you right with other people. Go back to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2. Remember this text? We preached it sometime last year. Verse 14 says, For he, Jesus Christ, he himself is our peace. And look what it says who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. This text that Jesus Christ is our peace, and then it says he's made us both one. Well, let me remind you of what this means. This means that there is peace within the church. When Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, he, he is writing to, to these these ethnically Gentile people. Uh, sure, there are some Jewish believers in the mix, but this is predominantly ethnically, Jew or ethnically Gentile people. These are people that they are not part of the Jewish ethnicity. They are not, not part of the Jewish faith. They don't have the same religious customs and manners. That They are those who for centuries have been considered excluded from the commonwealth of God. They have not shared in the privileges and in the blessings of being God's chosen people, but through Jesus, through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he has made these two, Jew and Gentile, he has made them in the church, he has made them to become one. In fact, th this Jew and Gentile divide was not this, this kind of like ambivalence, like, oh yeah, Jewish people, they kind of ignore the Gentiles, and the Gentiles, they kind of ignore the Jews. No, they, they hated each other. This, was, this is the, the pinnacle of ethnic animosity, this, the, the animosity between them makes the, the kind of the ethnic race baiting that exists in our world today seem like child's play. They were, they were just at war with each other. They hated each other. But look at what the text says. The text says he, Jesus Christ, Ephesians 2.14, is our peace. And because he's our peace, he has made us both, Jew and Gentile, he, he has made us one, and he has broken down in his flesh through his death and resurrection, he has broken down the dividing wall of hostility. He's broken it down. This means Jesus Christ is our peace. This means that no matter what the external difference might be between you and I and another believer in Jesus Christ, that dividing wall has been broken down. This means that, that regardless of your ethnicity, your nationality, regardless of your skin color or your gender, regardless of your intellectual ability or your economic standing, listen, this means that you and I, we are all one in Christ. We are all partakers of grace. 
We all find our salvation not through our ethnic identity or our, or our moral accomplishments. We all find our salvation because of the grace of Jesus Christ. He is our peace. See, there is, there is peace within the church. But, but secondly, this means that there is the potential for peace with all. There is a potential of peace for all people. Now, our world loves to talk about world peace, but, but, but I want to talk about relational peace. Because I guarantee, if you're listening to this, you have someone that you have a, a relational tension with. Maybe it's a relational tension with someone within the church. You realize that this, the, the, the reality that Jesus Christ is our peace means that you and your brother or sister in Christ, you can come to the table and you can work out your differences because of the grace that is found in Jesus. He is our peace. This means that if you're in a marriage that has tension or that you have family tension, this means the gospel can restore even the most broken of familial or marriage relationships. You know, this actually means that even those who you might consider enemies of the church, you can potentially have peace with them. You realize the gospel can, can open the most closed mind and soften the hardest of hearts? I mean, look at the author of this book, Ephesians, the Apostle Paul. You remember at one time he was an enemy of the church. He was breathing out murderous threats. He had intentions to do harm to believers, to Christians. This is who he was. And then Christ came and changed him completely. So now that he went from being an enemy of Christ in the church to an ambassador for Christ and of the church. This is why Jesus teaches us to, to love our enemies And pray for those who persecute us. Because you never know when he might just change their heart. He might just make it so that you and I, that we can have peace with those that that in the past we had enmity with. You see, there is potential for peace with all. This means, this means that you and I, we are to stand firm in the church. Stand firm in the church. Because of the peace we have in Christ, we should, be, we should be so quick to forgive. We should be so slow to give up on each other. We should not be those who cancel each other and to turn our back on each other. We should be so slow to, to hop from church to church to church because the power of God, the Spirit of God within us yearns for us to have unity and provides a way for us to have peace. You realize one of the enemy's great tactics is to divide the church. Don't let them do it. Stand firm. Remember that you have peace in Christ so you can have peace with each other. Stand firm in the church. Well, this is incredible, isn't it? We, We know that because of Christ we have peace with God. The, 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 the gospel of peace has made us right with God, and the gospel of peace has made us right with man. But, but listen, this, this pushes us even further into, into this, this incredible reality of our purpose. 
Because now, because you and I, because we are right with God and because we are right with man, now the gospel of peace makes you ready to share. The gospel of peace that has made you right with God and it has made you right with man and gives you the potential to be right with anyone, this means the gospel of peace makes you ready to share. Now, when I talk about sharing, I'm not talking about sharing your lunch. <laughs> I'm not talking about sharing you know, some, some, good, uh, some, some news that you heard. I'm talking about sharing this gospel. The gospel of peace makes you ready to share. Now, I want to I turn to Romans chapter 10 with you. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says this. It says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, this is how someone is saved. You and I, we are saved when we believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. When we, when we confess our sin, when we recognize that we have lived lives that lead us to be condemned before God, and we look at Christ and we see that he lived a perfect life, that he died for our sins, he was resurrected, and then he offers us this gift of grace. When we believe that, we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart, then we are saved. But here's the deal. What is the mechanism of delivery for the gospel? How does the gospel get to people? Well, just go down a few verses. Verses 14 and 15. If verse 9 says that we have to confess with our mouth and believe in our heart, then look what verse 10 says. It says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How does someone call on him? How does someone confess with their heart or confess with their mouth what they believe in their heart? It says, And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are set, sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Here's what this text says. This text says that someone believes the gospel because they've heard the gospel. And this text says that someone hears the gospel because someone has shared the gospel with them. And this text says that someone shares the gospel with them because that person has been sent. And this text says that that person who has been sent, they have beautiful feet. Well, why are their feet beautiful? Because their feet are ready. Their feet are covered in the readiness of the gospel of peace. This is the reality of you. If you have trusted in Jesus and his death and resurrection, you are called to have beautiful feet. Now, maybe you don't have very beautiful feet. Maybe you've got some, uh, some toe fungus going on or something like that. Maybe, maybe you've got to go check it, uh, with a doctor about something going on with your feet, right? But, but listen, that's not, this is not talking about an aesthetically pleasing pair of feet. This is talking about feet that are willing to go. This is talking about feet that have the readiness of the gospel. This is talking about, let me just remind you, this is talking about being a disciple of Jesus. You remember last week we actually talked about discipleship. Our working definition of a disciple. This, a disciple, first of all, holds to the, to the convictions about Christ and his word. We, we talked about this. This means that you have trusted in Jesus and you're trusting in him. 
This means that a disciple grows in the character of Christ by his spirit. You are becoming more and more like Christ as you follow him. But here's the the third part, and this is what I want us to focus in on. A disciple accepts the commission of Christ and his mission. As a disciple, you have a mission. Look, Look with me. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came to his disciples and he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He says, Go therefore and make disciples. This is the commission. You are to go as one who has been sent. Romans chapter 10, verse 15. You are one who has been sent. You have been sent to share. You have been sent to share the gospel so that others will hear. And when others hear, they can believe. And when they believe, they can call upon the name of the Lord. And so by believing in their heart and confessing with their mouth, they are saved. This is the point of our Ephesians chapter 6, verse 15 text. Uh, Ephesians 6.15, this, this readiness, this is, this is really not just, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of ready to go. I've got my, my shoes tied. No, this readiness is, is I, I have a zeal to expand the kingdom. I have a passion. I, I have this, this internal impulse so that others would know who Christ is, that others would know what Christ has done, that others would be saved. They'd be forgiven of their sins. They would know the love of God. I, I am present forward so that I must do this. This is an eagerness to share the gospel. In fact, Paul probably has Isaiah chapter 52 verse 7 in his mind. Isaiah 52 says, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, this is actually, this is a picture of someone who comes bearing news at the end of a war. This is someone who, who runs back to the town. They run back to Zion, and, and they are running back, bringing news of victory. They're, they're running back to the city saying, listen, our king and our army, they have won the war. They have won the battle. All is well. Salvation is in our God. This is what you and I declare when we share the gospel, we're not being like, we're not like, hey, you know, maybe you should, um, you know, Jesus might love you and maybe you should think about it. No, no, we are declaring Jesus has won the victory. He has died. He was buried. And then through the power of God, he was resurrected from the grave. He has won the victory. This is who you and I proclaim. This is the message we have. This is why our feet are beautiful. Because we have the readiness of the gospel of peace. How beautiful upon the mountain are the feet of him who brings good news. These are beautiful feet. These are gospel shoes. This is the readiness that you and I have been given. This means that you and I, we stand firm in evangelism. We stand firm in evangelism. Let me remind you, evangelism is not your task. It is your privilege. Let that that sink in. Sometimes we get it backwards. 
And we start thinking, oh, you know, I, I got to share my faith. It's just kind of a chore, though, or I'm just kind of nervous, or what will people think? No, that is not a biblical perspective on evangelism. Evangelism is, evangelism, it's not a task. It's not a chore. It's not a, oh, I have to. It's I get to. I get to proclaim the victory of Jesus and the salvation of souls. I get to share with someone not bad news, but what is the gospel? It is the good news. I get to share that you can be saved See, when you share the good news, you are bringing good news of great joy that Jesus offers salvation and he has won the victory. He's won the victory. You get to be a herald of that. You get to pass the greatest news on to those who have yet to hear it. This is why we stand firm. Remember, this is, this is warfare. The enemy wants you to shrink back. He wants you to be afraid of evangelism. He wants you to be intimidated of evangelism. He wants to keep the, see, the news a secret that Jesus is victorious. No, this is not a chore. This is a privilege. Stand firm in evangelism. This is what the gospel of peace does. It makes you ready to share. You have peace with God. You have peace with man. That makes you ready to share. But finally, the gospel of peace makes you ready to suffer. It makes you ready to suffer. And we don't want to hear this. We want, we want to hear about how the gospel makes everything easy and breezy and everything will work out smooth. We, we, want, we want a gospel that will make us healthy and wealthy. But listen, that is not the point of the gospel. The gospel of peace makes you ready to suffer. Think about Paul. Think about his letter to the Philippians. Paul writes the letter to the Philippians in, in prison. Now we think about prison and we think about state-of-the-art facilities and three square meals and, and a bed and, and maybe even some entertainment and, and a, a gym and things like that. But, but listen, he was in a first century Roman prison where there were no, uh, no comforts. I want you to think of prison as you think about a dungeon. He, he didn't have creature comforts. He, he got very little privileges. In fact... It's likely that any kind of bedding he had was brought to him by someone who was a benefactor. It was not provided by the, the prison system. It, it, it's, it's been proposed that, that meals operated the same way. If he had any kind of meal, it was generally because he was being fed by those who cared for him from the outside. He was in prison. And look at what he pens in the book of Philippians while in a dungeon. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything. <laughs> Paul had every right to be anxious. Where's my next meal going to come from? What if, what if the guards don't like me and they want to beat me? What, what, if, what if the command to execute me happens today? <laughs> he had reason to be anxious, but he says, don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer, in supplication, make your, or, or with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He says, instead of being anxious, 
pray with gratitude to God. Verse 7, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Here's the reality of life, church. Suffering can produce heavy anxiety. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're suffering under financial burden that you do not know how to remedy. You've got more bills than you have income. You, 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 maybe, maybe you're dealing with, with vehicles that aren't working or, or joblessness. Maybe, maybe you're, you're just like trying to figure out how am I going to feed my family this week. Listen, that suffering causes great anxiety. Maybe you're, maybe you're suffering because of physical ailment. Maybe you've gotten a diagnosis from the doctor and it's not good news. Maybe you're in chronic pain Maybe you're barely even able to get out of bed most days. Maybe, you, maybe you're watching this literally from your home because you're stuck there. And this suffering produces great anxiety. You're overwhelmed with the burdens of your physical ailments. You're not sure if there's any hope in sight. Maybe you're suffering relationally. Maybe your family is, is desperately broken and it's full of pain and suffering. Maybe it's full of drama and trauma. Maybe, maybe you have a loved one that is, that is desperately, uh, desperately sick and, and you're overwhelmed with it. Maybe, maybe you've had drama in your family and so people are not talking to you. Maybe you've been betrayed by a close friend. Maybe you're just overwhelmed with all of the pressures of life. And even the littlest things bring you great, a great sense of, of a cloud crushing down on you. Listen, I am not trying to minimize that in the least. I want, I want to be very clear. Suffering can produce a heavy anxiety. A heavy anxiety. Maybe it's an anxiety. Maybe it's a depression. Maybe it's a hopelessness. I understand. Paul understood. Christ understands. But, but look at what this text tells us to do with that, that heavy anxiety. The text teaches us that, that anxiety can be met with trusting prayer. In those situations when you feel like you're being crushed with anxiety, the, the instruction is not... Don't worry, be happy. The instruction is not to bury your anxiety, to ignore your anxiety, to act like your anxiety and you, your suffering does not exist. No, in that moment, your anxiety, Paul says, you can meet it with trusting prayer. He says, but in everything, not in some things, but in everything, by prayer, this is the generic term for prayer, in supplication, this is bringing a request before God. He says, with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is the key here. This is where your trust is shown. God, I'm overwhelmed, but I thank you that you're with me. God, I feel alone, but I thank you that you love me. God, I don't know what to do next, but I thank you that you are sovereign and you are faithful. But with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. See, anxiety can be met with trusting prayer. And look at this. 
Prayer can produce a supernatural peace. When you go to God in prayer, when you go to God with a prayer that you are, you are trusting Him, even in the darkness, even in the weightiness, even in the crushing pain and in the suffering, when you trust Him, here's what it says, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Here's what it says. It says the peace of God. Remember, you have peace of God because you have peace with God. It says that peace of God. And look at what it says here. It says it surpasses all understanding. This means that that peace is not something that can be easily explained. It's a peace that cannot be easily understood. This is a peace that it transcends. It goes above all understanding. This is a supernatural peace that overshadows our natural understanding. Here's what that peace will do. It will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Paul was under guard. He had Roman soldiers outside of the dungeon where he was, where he was imprisoned. And, and those Roman soldiers made sure that no one that was not permitted could get in and no one that was not permitted could get out. This is the guarding that you can experience of your heart and your mind. This is spiritual warfare, church. This is taking every thought captive. I, I hope you're making the connection here. When you go to God in trusting prayer, no matter your suffering, no matter your difficulty, no matter your level of anxiety, God will guard you with his peace. He'll guard your heart and he'll guard your mind. He may not fix your situation, he may not rescue you from prison. He may not fix your finances. He may not fix your health. He may not restore the broken relationships, but you can have peace because God loves you. That's seen through Christ in his death and resurrection. Because God is faithful. Because God is sovereign. This means you stand firm in suffering. Stand firm. You have the shoes of readiness from the gospel of peace, that peace of God which guards your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You can stand firm in suffering. Church family, let me just say this. Your peace in the gospel prepares you to stand firm. You can stand firm because you have peace with God. You can stand firm because you have peace with other people, with, with man. You can stand firm because it makes you ready to share the gospel, and you can stand firm because it makes you ready even to suffer. Now, I think about shoes, and, and one of my favorite stories about shoes is years ago when I was a youth pastor, and we were doing some, uh, some retreat, some trip, and, and some... Uh, some middle school boy, he showed up and he was wearing sandals. And uh, I was a bit of a, I was a playful youth pastor at times. And so, you know, I said, oh man, guess what? You, uh, you got your sandals on, but you have to have open, or you have to have closed-toed shoes to go on this trip. And he was like, well, these are the only things I brought. And I was like, I've, I've got just the thing for you. And I went into the office and I pulled out a, 
a roll of packing tape. <laughs> and, and I want to say, okay, here, here's what we're going to do. I want you to sit down. Okay, give me your first, first foot. And he put his foot up on my knee with the sandal, and I just started wrapping that thing with, with packing tape. I used half the roll on that foot. I said, okay, give me your other foot. And he, he put his other foot up on there, and I, I, I used the rest of that roll of packing tape on that other foot. I said, okay, now, now you have closed-toed shoes. Now you can go on the retreat, right? And it was really just a big prank on this kid, but, you know, it made it. So you now, you can now go on the retreat. On the retreat. You now are ready. Well, that was kind of a joke. But here's what I want you to see. If you were in Christ, you truly are ready. When the text says, having put on, this means that you have already placed on, these have already been put on you. You have the readiness of the gospel of peace. This is who you are in Christ. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for what you've done to provide for us everything we need in spiritual warfare. Father, I thank you for these incredible shoes, the shoes of readiness of the gospel of peace, that our feet are ready. We can stand firm knowing that we have peace with you. We have peace with each other. And now we can stand firm and we are ready to share the gospel. Father, I pray that you would give us a great passion to share the gospel. Lord, let us remember that sharing the gospel is not a task, but it is a privilege. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be ready to suffer. Help us to endure even the most difficult of circumstance. And let us do it knowing that your peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.